This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Settling in a new city can raise lots of questions. How does the bus service work? Can I join the local library? Where do I go to get advice on renting a home? Over the next half hour, the team from Citizens Advice Bureau bring you all the latest news and information of special interest to new migrants settling in Dunedin. Welcome to Resettling in Aotearoa with Citizens Advice Bureau. No mai, hauri mai, kia ora anō. Welcome back to our monthly Resettling in Aotearoa show on Otago Access Radio. Koi ana toku ingoa. I'm Anna, the manager at Citizens Advice Bureau here in Ōtipoti, Dunedin. Our guest today is Alistair Wade, who is a technical motoring advisor at the AA. Kia ora, Alistair. Thank you for zooming in today to give our listeners some expert pointers on what to look for or to consider when buying a car. No problems. Thank you for having me on the show today, Anna. One reasonably regular inquiry we get is from people, particularly new arrivers in New Zealand, um, is those who have spent a lot of money on a new or second-hand car and then things have gone wrong after purchase. Um, so therefore, very really critical that people consider very carefully before purchasing. And knowing your financial situation and how much you can afford is definitely a good first step. So I just wanted to give a quick bit of advice here. Um, so in the perfect world, it's best to save enough money first to buy your first car outright or your car outright, but um, because then you will avoid risk um, the risk of not being able to manage that debt if, if your financial situation changes. Um, but in reality, for most people, they need to borrow money for a car. Um, so we would advise that if you do, it's best to try to find um, sort out your financing before you buy one. Sometimes people think it's more convenient to get the loan from the car dealer, but often they don't give you a lot of choice in terms of you want to pay extra, um, you know, more above the set payments, or if you want to pay off the loan, uh, you know, quick, more quickly. So if you arrange finance with a bank or a lending institution, that, that gives you some control over how much and how quickly you pay off your loan. Um and a good another tip is that it's always good to try to pay off more than the minimum monthly payments because then you save on interest. So, sticking with the like the just the initial price or cost of a car, um, Alistair, how how is the price of a vehicle affected by the age of a car? Yeah, so generally the, the older the vehicle, the less it's generally worth. This is mainly due to depreciation. So that's obviously the reduction in the value of that asset over time, obviously due to wear and tear. And, and, and that's a, unless it's like a classic or a collector's vehicle. So, you know, vehicles do go down in time. Yeah. And so, again, um, the, the kilometres travelled, the odometer reading um, in relation to price. Yeah, similarly, this is sort of the, the same with a, a car with higher mileage. It tends to, to cost less than one that has accumulated significantly fewer kilometres. So obviously the best scenario is, you know, later a newer vehicle with lower Ks is always yeah. the best option. So just um, before we sort of go into a wee bit more detail, tell us tell us a bit about how the value and or why the value of a car, especially new ones, goes down a lot as soon as you sort of drive it out of the lot. Yeah, um, so, so honestly, um, most vehicles will de- depreciate over a certain amount of um, value over a certain time. So the general trends are that uh, when the first year of ownership, a vehicle will depreciate 25% 
then the next year after that, 15%, and on the third year, uh, another 10%. So that's normally generally about 50% of its value over the three years of ownership. This can also um, vary depending on stock availability, but general rule of thumb, 50% in that first year. So it's, it's a lot of value that drops out of that vehicle in those yeah. first three years. So again, buy what you can afford and what you're prepared to lose. Yeah. So um, considering what you need the car for and what you want is really um, important to, to think about, isn't it? Um, like some people mainly drive in the city and others drive long distances. You know, how would this affect your vehicle choice? Yeah, I, I guess there's so many different options of vehicles out there when you look at sort of petrol vehicles, hybrid vehicles, EV vehicles. So again, looking at what your sort of general daily ranges. So most sort of entry-level EVs and PHEVs. So the PHEVs will, will have a range of about 50 to 80k. And so the entry-level EVs are about 200k. So again, trying to figure out what your daily uh, commute is and then trying to find the vehicle within that sort of range and everything like that. Yeah, you wouldn't want to drive a massive sort of vehicle if you just sort of mostly 90% of your driving is just to and from work. No, exactly. So, again, trying to figure out what your daily commute is and whether yeah. you can charge up at work or you know, if yeah. you've got filling stations along that path to get to work. Yeah, and so um, the, there's other considerations that people need to think about, like, you know, passengers, towing, who will be driving. Any other advice there? Yeah, a lot of it is, is pretty much summed up in what you've just said there, Anna. Um, a lot of it's trying to find the vehicle for your environment. So whether you're towing or you're taking six people in the car constantly, buy the vehicle that you're going to use in your, every day to day, not that you might use once a year or something like that, because you'd be paying for something that you're not getting the full use out of. Yeah, and, and, and they do say that, you know, it's much better if you only need a 4 by 4 vehicle or, you know, a big vehicle for a couple of weekends a year, it's better just to rent that, isn't it, rather than own it? Yeah, and a lot of these sort of car share programs and, and sort of hire for a day, sort of yeah. thing, you, you can actually get a vehicle that's going to be a little bit more cheaper on the initial outlay that's going to do most of your, your day-to-day stuff. Yeah. So, and now this is a really important one for um, people listening um, or for everyone, but, you know, what should people look at regarding the safety features of a vehicle? Yeah, I get asked this question a lot in my role as technical advisor for the AA, and I always say to people, it's always best to aim for the highest safety rating. So five-star NCAP safety rating is, is obviously the pinnacle that we hold up to, but some people can't always afford a five-star vehicle. So I always say to people, you've got to kind of look at what you're coming out of and what you're going to. So if your current vehicle that you're driving is, say, an NCAP two-star safety rating, always aim to get one better. There's no point sort of changing it for, for like for like so if, if like i say if you've got a two-star safety rating aim to get a three or a four every step you take is going to have increased safety features so yeah as you go up get you know so now one thing i've noticed with my own car it's got a five-star ancap yes. and then but it's only got a two-star used car safety rating and that yeah. seems to be new on that right cars it never used to have that that yeah. UCS 
yeah, you, 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 you CSR, so that's the yeah. used car safety rating. So they're, they're two completely different programs. So the ANCAP safety rating is the Australasian uh, new car assessment program, and that's based on uh, new vehicles in a controlled and crashed environment, where the used car safety ratings is based on actual real-time data from crashes. So it's not in a controlled environment. It's what's happening out in the real street. So they are two completely different ratings. So when a vehicle doesn't have the ANCAP safety rating available, it will then default to the um, used car safety rating. So people have just got to be careful of which one is indicated in that right car or the purchase the car that they're buying. Yeah. So I but, think there is an NCAT one for, available for mine, but it still uses that other one. What, what would the situation be when that would happen? It might have been like when your vehicle was registered, there might, there might have been a change in that year, whether yours right. was registered earlier or later. So sometimes it can be on that that registration oh, like, data so right. you know it might have been your, your your model might have had a model change in sort of say july or august but yours might i have think been. it was right on the edge of a model change in 2014 yeah so, so sometimes if you are confused give us give us a call um okay. or, or, or contact your, your local manufacturer yeah. with a the number they'll be able to tell you specifically what that vehicle okay. is actually rated at yeah, and that you the, the the used car, you know what's happening in the real world. That yes. would also like say you're driving a car that mostly, well, I just don't want to say this. I mean, but say say older people, you know, that maybe have more medical events or something, that would skew those statistics, wouldn't it? A little bit. Yeah, I guess because it is real crash data, so it, yeah. it takes everything from that. So yeah, it, it can change it slightly. Or ones that youth tend to drive more, you know, so it would make, it would seem that there was worse statistics and crashes, yeah? Yeah, yeah, no, I 100% agree. Yeah, there is some changes there. Yeah. Okay, and just just so the listeners know, you can find those ratings for the environment too, can't you? Um, like how bad the emissions that your vehicle will produce um, and the safety ratings on www.rightcar.govt.nz. Yep, that's great. Yeah. So um, reliability is obviously really important, um, but even reliable cars need maintenance, and no car is 100% reliable. So um, tell us about a warrant of fitness and what this tells the purchaser. Yeah, so a warrant of fitness is an inspection that's carried out either every six months or every year. So that's on the, the way the vehicle performs in that set inspection. So it doesn't actually remove any items or anything like that. So if you're looking to, to buy a vehicle, a pre-purchase inspection, or even getting your local mechanic to carry out an inspection on the vehicle or a service where they can actually dig into things deeper, like looking at brake pads and all that sort of stuff. Because again, a warrant of fitness is only a visual inspection. They do not remove yeah. anything from it. It's obviously good to have, but there are other steps that you can take to make it safer. Yeah, and it shouldn't be relied on as, no. a, as no. an inspection. No. It, it, it's a good one to add to the package. Yeah. And so what do people need to know about you know, initially viewing a vehicle when, or test driving? Um, I, I guess know the vehicle and do your research of what you're going to go look for. Um, when you turn up to the place, just see, like if you turn it up first thing in the morning, you know, make sure the car's not super hot, like someone's gone out and warmed it up to try and sort of hide any cold start issues or they might have jump started it or something like that. So if you do turn up in those environments, ask the questions, you know, why have you started it? Why is it so hot? And, and all these sort of things. And then when you um, take the vehicle on a test drive, if you're looking at multiple cars in the same area, try and pick the same test drive route so that you can actually give each car a fair test on, on how it performs in that environment. Um, 
adjust your seats, check your mirrors, check all those visible sort of things that you've got to obviously feel safe and comfortable in it. Um, and the other thing is also, if you can, drive it home, park it in your garage, see if it'll actually fit. You know, some people people get very excited when purchasing a car and sometimes forget all the basic day-to-day things that you're going to be doing on a vehicle. Yeah. And what about outside the car? Is there any, are there any sort of simple checks you can just do if you walk around? Um yeah, a lot of it is, is just look at all the touch points. So obviously key touch points on a, a motor vehicle are, are bumpers and, and wheels. Just make sure there's no um, different colouring and panels and stuff like that as you walk around the vehicle. Any damaged lenses, um, scratches, marks on wheels can obviously mean that they've hit potholes or, or run into curbs. So all these sort of things will add cost to you later on. Yeah. And what about, what's your advice like taking a friend or someone who you trust yeah, always two eyes is, is always better than, than the one because, like I say, sometimes buying a vehicle or anything is, is an emotional buy. So yeah. sometimes you get blinded by all the glitz and glamour, especially if you're going out to a dealership where a person that's not looking to actually own the vehicle will look for things that you're yeah. not necessarily looking for. So, and, and also when you're driving it, chuck them in the back seat of the car. You're driving the car, you know, the person selling the car is in the front, so you can ask them to listen for noises and rattles and bangs in the back of the vehicle. So, yeah, no, it's certainly always good to take someone else along with you. And it yeah. gives you that power that you're not going to be sort of pressured into purchasing. They yeah. can back you up if you want to walk away. Yeah. Um, and what do people need to know about checking a vehicle's history and paperwork? Um, so the AA... Um, to history reports. So a good thing to do is just check how the vehicle has been owned. So whether the vehicle's been recently ownership changed multiple times will obviously show you um, issues that that vehicle might have, um, whether the vehicle's been an insurance write-off, so if the number yep. plates have changed. So all those sort of things are good sort of tests to see if someone's actually selling you a vehicle that's going to be suitable for your needs and reliable. Yeah. And people should always double-check that information you know, independently that the seller gives them, like the seller might tell you a whole lot of stuff, but, you know, there's certain places, like, so you're saying the AA has the... Yeah, we have, a, we have an AA history report, so that has a multiple of tests that we, we check when we when you put in the vehicle registration. So, again, it'll show if there's any money owing on the vehicle, if the yep. vehicle's been written off before. Um, it's been water damaged. Water damaged and all yep. that sort of stuff. But, like, one thing what people also have to watch out with water damaged vehicles, water damaged vehicles will only show up if the vehicle's been deregistered or someone's claimed through insurance. Right. So some people can obviously do the repairs themselves and not involve insurance parties. So yeah. therefore, some vehicles that are coming through that are water damaged and, you know, some people can get caught out. That's why it's always good to get someone else to check over the vehicle, get a pre-purchase inspection or your mechanic yeah. to check it out. And they can look for signs of water damage. Yeah. And so um, how much does that cost? For the AA, um, for those reports, the AA reports off the top of my head, I think it's nineteen ninety-five. Oh yeah. Um, let me just... And that, yeah, that's not bad. Um but as a, so, what so Waka Kotahi have some of that information too, do you? It's probably you have to pay for it with them as well, do you? Probably. Yeah, anyone that's sort of providing information and stuff like that does it. Do have to charge? So There's not really for any free places people can find that all out. This you can find some things out, can you? Um, um generally, if they if they're pulling data from a source, there there will be a cost involved, unfortunately. I think money owing. You can find on that personal property securities register, can you? Is that free? Yeah, yeah and, and sometimes what you've got to watch out on those is, is when that when someone's done that report. So, like, if someone's selling the car and they've said, oh, look, I've done a, um, a check on the vehicle and there's no money owing on it, but it only takes someone a day to re 
put right. money against a vehicle. So right. just check when if people have got dates on things when it was actually produced. Yeah. It's always best to do it yourself and then know that you've done it correctly. Yeah, good advice. Um, what about inconsistent odometer readings? You know, you wouldn't be able to tell that yourself. That would need a professional. Yeah, and, and sometimes, because obviously the odometer readings go when a vehicle goes in for a war on a fitness, so sometimes if you see some spikes, um, and, and these history checks will show you this, or independent checks and that, so if you see a massive spike and it comes back down, generally that's just an, an input error, yeah. but if you're thinking that the vehicle's been, um, the odometer's been flicked coming into the country, that's where you need the specialists to look into those for you. So... What about the C, the SIN notice, the consumer information notice? What do the listeners need to know about that and, and what to just check when they're sort of looking around on a, at a dealer's? Yeah, so with the SIN card, that's where the dealer has to uh, let you know the history of the vehicle. So they have to let you know if the vehicle's been written off, if the vehicle's got money owing it against it. Because some dealers have floor plan, um, so they have money borrowed against the vehicles. So they just have to make sure that they show that the vehicle's got a clear title and that it's got a, a warrant of fitness no less than 28 days from purchase. Yep. Okay. So that's that's a main one to make sure you've got that updated warrant of fitness. Yeah. Um, and so what about, is there anything else we haven't sort of covered about the sort of questions that they could ask? Um, buyers, you know, like sometimes that you want to know you've got two keys because they're really expensive to get a replacement. Um, yeah, no, that, that, that's a great one. Um, you know, two keys, you know, because... Some people will only have one key and a replacement key could be three or $400 if it's a yep. transponder remote. So, um, yeah, ask about service history is, is yep. another good one. Um, yep. Make sure they can actually give you, like someone can give you an owner's handbook, but anyone could sort of write those details. So if, as long as you can get some invoices to back up that data is yep. always a, a good safety one also. Yeah, and cam belts is a thing too because now some things have timing change. Some cars have timing change. Yes. So they never have to be replaced, whereas the cam belt... Care belts have set sort of manufacturers will set their, their own guidelines. So generally in your owner's handbook of the vehicle, it'll state that. But like you say, on general, every hundred thousand k's or five years is a guide for cam belts. But some manufacturers push them out to one hundred sixty k in seven years. So again, just if you're buying from a dealer, just confirm that those have been done. Because again, if you're pushing your budget to that very very far end, yeah, you don't you don't want to have these costs in a six months time. Yeah, because they're quite expensive to replace a cam belt. And if they might not necessarily be honest about that. Like they might sell it at 90K and it's due in 10,000 Ks and then you've got a big cost. Yeah, and and, and the cost is going to go up even more if you don't do that cam belt and the yeah. engine fails. Sometimes yeah. it can be a replacement vehicle or a replacement engine. Yeah. Um, buying privately is a whole other thing. Um, you know, and there's risks involved, but there's also you can get – you know, there's pros and cons, I guess, buying privately. But again, you've you've really got to get that um, pre-purchase inspection, don't you? Yeah, because that's someone impartial to, 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 to that vehicle. So we, we've got no financial gain of giving you a bad or a good outcome of that's that vehicle right. that we inspect. So um, it's an open, honest inspection. And it is, is always good, like I said in the start of our interview, to take that second pair of eyes. It's yep. someone impartial and... And they can highlight issues, and this is where you can use it in your negotiation for the vehicle. If there is items there that they find that are small that need to be addressed, you can negotiate yeah. that into your price. Yeah. So just quickly, the AA offer the pre-purchase checks, yeah, um, yep. as well other mechanics, but anything you just want to quickly say about that? 
Um, you see, so the AA pre-purchase inspections, they select um, 113 items that we go over and inspect on the vehicle. Our inspectors uh, um, will take the vehicle for a road test after. So again, these inspectors are doing this daily. So you might be looking at a vehicle that you've never driven and you might just think it's a great car, but because they've been driving 10 others the previous week, they'll be able to come back and go, well, look, okay, this one doesn't drive as nice as the last one, and these are the areas I think you need to, to look and, and take into consideration. Pre-purchase inspection is also great, too, if you're not in that current um, town. So say you're based in Wellington and you want to buy a car yeah. out of Auckland, it's yeah. not always cost-effective to fly up and look at it. So, again, another pair of eyes can, can assist in that process for you. Absolutely. Um, and people should never feel pressured to buy. You know, like they should take – it's always a good, um, if it's too good to be true, it usually isn't a good deal, isn't it? Yeah, and I think because most of the people when they go to purchase a vehicle have done their research, so they know what the vehicle's worth and what their values are and how much they want to spend. So like I say to someone, take your support person with you and have your set figure. Don't get forced or bullied into that and, and stick to it. So you know, use that to your negotiation power. So go in slightly lower but have yeah. your figure that you'll never go above. And and watch those add-ons. You know, yeah. Like if you're buying from a dealer, they're always going to try and upsell you, push you up to the next model or add stuff to the vehicle. You have the right to say, no, you can purchase those later on if your budget changes or you you, yeah. you, know, you come into and some you, money and, some other ways. And you can actually negotiate with a dealer too. Like if they've got a ticket price on it, you know, you can, good ballpark, try and talk them down one grand. Yeah. Yeah, or after and, a tow bar to be put on or put well, in a good stereo. Or. Exactly. And, and, and if you're taking a trade along also too, like yeah. you can use your trade as a negotiation tool. You know, you, you can do your research online, find out what that vehicle is worth. And after going to two or three dealers in a weekend's test drive um, process, if you go through that, you'll have an idea of where they're offering you. So you can use yeah. that, you know, and, and use it to get a better price on the, the car you're buying. Yeah. Yeah, um, and so really summarising, people shouldn't buy on features alone. You know, the condition, the affordability and safety are the most things, yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All yeah. those items, you know, yeah. you, you want to feel safe and you want to get a vehicle that's going to last you the test of time. So yeah. get it inspected and, and get someone to assist you through that process if you're not sure. Yeah. Um, just talk quickly about diesel and, you know, with the – you have to pay the road user charges if you've got diesel. Does that make it, with the price of diesel now, does it actually make it more expensive to run a diesel? It's it's probably almost on par, and that's why I always say to people, if you're looking between a picture, say a model's got a petrol and a diesel option, have a look at what you want to achieve out of that vehicle. So a diesel vehicle will have uh, greater torque, so it's obviously a better vehicle for towing and all that sort of stuff, and especially if you're going off-road, they uh, sort of a little bit more tolerable to water and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. So, again, buy the car that's going to be fit for your purpose, not just that everyone else has got one that you need. Yeah. Tell us about, um, you know, European cars or other cars like Subarus have always been apparently more expensive to service. Is that actually true? I guess the thing that people kind of forget when they're looking at European vehicles is that when that vehicle was um, sold, it was a certain price. And so over the years that that vehicle's depreciated in value, the actual parts itself haven't depreciated as much because sometimes it can also be prices on, on spare parts can be where they get their available sources from. So in your general Japanese-built car, if there's thousands and thousands in the market, the prices for parts are always a little bit cheaper than your European cars that might only sell 100 into the country. So don't be fooled on 
a cheap price at the initial purchase. Do your research, ask the dealer what's the servicing cost over the period of time that you're looking to keep the vehicle. And if something did go wrong, what are key replacement things like? What's a headlight worth? What's a yeah. bumper worth? Yeah. All those little things. Yeah. So finally, um, what advice is available to AA members from you, like from the technical advisors? Yeah, I, I guess the biggest thing is, is if you're ever in doubt or you're not sure, reach out for help. That's what we're here for. So we're, we're an association that's there for our members. So again, treat us like a big brother. If you need our help, give us a call. Yeah. So you can ask for any small, silly thing, question you think silly, but you know, you just want to double check on, yeah? Yeah, 100%. We, we don't yep. judge. Um, we, yep. we, we make sure we give you the best advice and that you, you make the best decision going forward. Because end of the day, if you get it wrong, we're going to be there to pull you out of it. So yep. <laughs> we'd rather not. So, yeah, so just so the listeners who don't know, because often this, there's new arrivals listening to this, the AA, you know, Automobile Association, you can join, you can become a member, and it gives you um, breakdown service and this great technical advice that you can ring and just ask questions, like if you're looking at purchasing, yeah? Yes, no, that's correct. So, yeah, no, we're always here to, to assist our yeah. motoring. Vehicle. Cool. All right. So, um, citizen, remember everyone who's listening that Citizens Advice Bureau in Dunedin is, um, you know, we, we help people know and understand their rights, offer free confidential advice and information about anything for anyone. You can call us on 4716166 or nationwide free phone 0800 367 Got an awesome website, www.cab.org.nz. There's got answers to thousands of questions about your rights uh you can email us inquiries via our website too uh you can follow us on facebook cab dunedin thank you to otago access radio and jeff for hosting us and to our listeners namihi uh kiakwe alistair for joining us today and sharing all that really useful information and tips um for people when they're considering buying a car or marae good evening This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.